She was an avid runner who dedicated her life to helping others. Her life was taken in a violent act by a complete stranger, seemingly at random. This is South Texas Crime Stories, the murder of Lauren Bump. day was coming to a quiet end for the Wagner family. Edward and Sierra had just visited the children's playground at Opisha Noble Park on the northwest side with their young son. They were walking on a jogging trail back to their car when they came upon a scene out of a horror movie. 24-year-old Lauren Bump's body was lying there. Edward Wagner testified in court to what they saw. I was kind of in shock when I saw it because it didn't seem real. She was just laying on the floor face down. I could definitely see some, some blood, lots of blood. He called 911. Lauren had been stabbed more than 20 times along the trail. Sierra Wagner testified she examined Lauren's body and was horrified by what she found. I couldn't feel a pulse, so I looked at her back to see if she was breathing, and that's when I noticed that her body was mutilated. 45 minutes before the couple found Lauren, they passed by a man walking in the park that the couple described as strange looking. Sierra had even jokingly said that he, quote, looked like a serial rapist. Three days later and later on in court, the couple ID'd that man as Christian Bautista. Bautista's own attorney said his client was creepy and had strange tendencies, but stated it wasn't illegal. During his trial, Bautista's roommate Ryan O'Shea testified. They shared a mobile home on the northwest side. O'Shea said he had given Bautista an 8-inch combat knife just days before Lauren was killed. I just asked him how the knife was doing and if he ever got the case for it. And what did he say? He said no. He stuck some and had to get rid of it. O'Shea initially dismissed the comment, but he heard about Lauren's death. He went to police to tell them what Bautista had done. After hearing from multiple witnesses and testimony that Lauren's blood was found on Bautista's clothes, he was found guilty of her murder. Bautista was sentenced to life in prison. KSAT viewers, I'm Stefania Jimenez, anchor and reporter at KSAT 12 in San Antonio. On weeknights, you'll catch me on the night beat. Many of you want the news before 10 p.m., and this is for you. It's called The Nine at Night, a live nine-minute digital newscast airing at, you guessed it, 9 p.m. Call it a bite-sized show that's tailor-made for you. You'll get the day's top stories, weather, upcoming community events, and feel-good stories. Find us on YouTube, KSAT.com, and KSAT Plus, available on Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV, Roku, or any way you stream. And, of course, via podcast. So like or subscribe wherever you get your audio. That way you'll get the alert when each episode drops. That starts later this month. Until then, head on over to KSAT.com and sign up to be a KSAT Insider. That's where you'll get the inside scoops on all of our new and exciting projects.
uh, Lee and I had a very busy week before we could record. So we're on Zoom doing this podcast together. So that's why it looks a little different for you guys. It may sound a little different too, because we're having this conversation through Zoom. Um, but thank God for technology, because we were able to still do this episode. And I really wanted to include this episode for season four. Yeah, I think it's something that's super relevant, especially because of the Eliza Fletcher case that everyone was following so closely with what happened to her as she was abducted and killed while she was running. And then we had this this case that happened here in San Antonio with Lauren Bum, who was attacked at random while she was jogging. So it seemed to just have a lot of relevance uh, with what we're following right now in, in the news cycle. Yeah, and this this story just really hit for me. At that time, I was, I don't do it anymore, but at that time I was marathon training and I would go run at Opie Chernobyl Park. I oftentimes would go run by myself because it was such a long trail system and I could get a good run in. It was very surprising to me when, when I heard the story and it put me on alert. You know, I never, if I didn't have to, I would go run with a friend or I would have one of those devices that you could put through your fingers. It's like a little cat and it has the sharp ears. I would run with that. You know, my husband at the time who we were just dating would be like, don't go do this by yourself. Like this really put a lot of runners in the city on alert because this was so random. Yeah, it, it seemed to have so many people just on edge with just how violent and cruel it was. And then it was just at random. You never really hear of crimes happening to someone where a stranger just attacked like that. Th- those are so rare. Oftentimes we talk about it being someone who is who's close to you. Um, and, and so Lauren was 24 years old, only 24 years old whenever she was killed. And that next year, her friends and family gathered to celebrate her life at Opie Schnabel Park. And it was uh, to also celebrate her birthday as well. So they did a balloon release. And in her memory, because she was such an avid runner, they did a silent one mile run for her. Yeah, so family members, they they also had t-shirts made to benefit Lauren's Memorial Foundation, which helps provide missionary medical groups in Guatemala. And I don't know, Lee, when you were doing research for this, Lauren was at the time a medical student or was she already in the medical field? She was um, a medical student and she had done volunteer work in Guatemala. And so that's why her family uh, started this foundation in her memory to kind of keep that alive. And apparently she had already bought tickets to go back to Guatemala and do that volunteer work again. So she like she was someone who not only we know our medical professionals, they already give so much because that's a hard field to get into. And so she already gave her life doing that, but then to go to Guatemala and to do this volunteer work, which I'm sure is long, long days and hard days. So she was doing that on top of things. So I really think it just spoke to to who she was as a person. So let's, if we can, go to this trial of Christian Bautista, because it was an odd trial. You know, we've talked about weird cases before, and we've talked about weird tendencies in uh, court settings before. And this is another one to add to the list there. Yeah, so this trial was in Judge Jefferson Moore's. This is the 186 District Court. I know Judge Moore, and he's a military guy, so he's very straightforward, on time, doesn't put up with crap in his courtroom. And this is kind of one of those things where he was not going to put up with Bautista. So when the trial started, he said during the competency hearing that Bautista exposed himself and was making lewd comments to a female prosecutor. Well, also, you just don't expect that to happen when you're in court. Like, 
I mean, you're already there for something like bad. And then you're going to go make it worse by acting like this. And so I think, and he was found competent to stand trial because all of this happened during his competency hearing. So I don't know if that was a ploy by him to try and make it so, oh, he's not competent to stand trial. Maybe he'd get like a lesser, like something, something else would happen. But obviously that plan didn't work. That plan backfired. Um, yes. So we go to the regular trial now and he's still doing some of this. He's making grunting sounds as he was escorted into the courtroom by deputies. So it's like it, the bizarre behavior continued. Yeah, he even stuck his tongue out at one of the witnesses who identified him. So he was just very, very odd. And I think it, it's telling when your own lawyer is saying, this is an odd dude. This is a really odd guy. And like his lawyer said, it's not illegal to be odd, but it puts you on edge almost when you're in this courtroom with this guy who's grunting and sticking his tongue out. Like that's just weird behavior. It's almost like it's, um, I, I've seen it before in other cases I covered. It's almost like witness intimidation. I, I don't know if that was his ploy or that was his thinking. I, I remember covering a case in Webb County when I worked in Laredo where it was cartel members and there was one guy who would blow kisses at you know the media or at witnesses and there would be witnesses who would go on the stand and then just refuse to talk out of fear. So I, I've seen it done before, but this was quite unusual. And I didn't cover this case. Paul Venema was the one covering this trial when it took place several years ago. But yeah, this was one I, I, I remember when Paul was doing the story and, and talking to him about like, have you seen this before? And even for him, he was like, yeah, this guy's, it, this is a bizarre one. It's so bizarre. I can't imagine what her family was feeling in that courtroom as they're, as they're waiting to hear what's going to happen to their daughter's killer. And he's making all these sounds and really trying to deflect the situation. Um, you know, the, her family had released a statement after the guilty verdict had come out and after he was sentenced to life in prison. And I have part of that statement here I want to read, but also we have the full statement posted on our website with this story. And I encourage you to read it because her family took a lot of time and care into crafting that statement. So I'm going to read part of it here. Today's verdict brings a close to this chapter of the long journey of trying to build a life without our dear Lauren. No verdict or punishment could possibly come close to replacing our loss. We will continue to focus on celebrating how awesome our Lauren was and how she walked so close to God, showing his love to all. No evil act can quiet God's love. This is why her life touched so many and continues to, and why she will never be forgotten. And again, that full statement is on our website. But I just think, I mean, that's just really telling of like how gracious her family was um, and how much they admired Lauren and how she lived her life because she really did live it to the fullest and she lived it in a way that gave to others. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I've, I've been in court when these verdicts are read that, you know, they were very emotional um, during that, that portion of the trial. They got their guilty verdict. He did get a life sentence and I'm trying to look up right now where he is at. Um, even though he gets a life sentence, he does have eligibility eventually for parole. So I'm trying to see when that is. So his parole eligibility date would be in January of 2044. And he is currently at the Alred 
facility. I'm not ex exactly sure what part of the state. Oh, that's at Iowa Park, Texas. So that's where he's, he's at, he's serving his life sentence there. Like I said, even if he has that eligibility date for 2044, that doesn't mean that it's gonna get granted. And usually with cases like this, I don't see a parole board granting that, that you know, a release at that, for that first opportunity. And then uh, her her family, you know, as that that guilty verdict was read, was read, they started weeping and they started crying in the courtroom, and and he had no reaction at all. And um, when it came to the sentencing portion of the the trial, her family was speaking more about who Lauren was, and they talked about how she was doing mission trips throughout her life. She was doing all of these different charity runs. Um, at the time when she was killed, we mentioned she was studying in the medical field. Uh, she was in her final year as a physician's assistant at Harding University in Arkansas. So she was she was really working toward getting that physician's assistant, and she was so close to it. So the, the trial's over, and we just talked about also where Bautista ended up. But what was interesting is that he had Mexican mafia ties. And we saw this with the Rafael Castillo case that we just had. We didn't know about those ties to the Mexican mafia to that punishment phase. Um, so he had already, Bautista had erected a record. He had been arrested multiple times nearly every year since he was 19. And he was 31 when he was sentenced for, for Lauren's death. Yeah, and most of those prior arrests were for like drug charges, but there was like an aggravated robbery charge where he had hit someone over the head with like a crowbar, attacked someone with a crowbar. So this was an not a good person. This was a person who had a life of crime and he being out in the world, he was going to continue to unleash evil on other people. And that just shouldn't be the case. And it's so unfortunate that he came upon Lauren when she was just running in the park. It's so heartbreaking that that's who he came across because she sounded like an, a wonderful person, such a good person who had so much ahead of her. And he he took that and he was a person who just was a serial committer of crimes. I, I take this story because every time I do go back out to Opie Chernobyl, I think of Lauren Bum. You when you, you pass a certain part of the trail, there's a memorial for her. And it's it's it always as a not like I said, not an avid runner anymore, as a former avid runner and who have friends who are runners, that's a story. That we'll never forget. And I always just encourage those who are going out to run, just take precautions, you know, have, I mean, even if you, you know, it, it could still happen to you, even if you're taking every precaution, but just to know that, hey, you know, I had this in my hand, or I had a pepper spray in my hand, or I had a friend running along with me, I think it would make a lot of difference. Lauren's case is one I'm, I'm hoping San Antonio never forgets. And I'm so glad there's that memorial there for her at the park when you're on the trail so everybody could always remember her absolutely and something else odd that happened in this this court hearing in this court case um when it came to bautista he was also fined ten thousand dollars for acting like a weirdo during trial because of his exposing himself and because of the grunting and sticking his tongue out and just his general behavior, he was not only sentenced to life in prison, he was also fined $10,000 for acting like that during trial. I'm glad he got the sentence that he did. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are more comfortable knowing that he's off the streets. 
Thanks for listening to the season finale of South Texas Crime Stories. Be sure to check out KSAT's YouTube channel to watch each episode. We will be back for next season and all special season for October. We will focus on satanic panic right here in San Antonio. Thank you.